Well, 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 welcome back to uh, your hour. This is Climb to Your Prime with Dr. Heim, the one and the only, uh, with his beautiful, uh, you know, backdrop as always, you know, enjoying that view. Uh, I'm so envious. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is a beautiful, gorgeous, you know, view. So, you know, it is beautiful. It, and we're happy to be able to bring it to you, Hurricane. Well, not just to me, to the world, literally, because uh, I think everybody yeah. that's watching this is doing this. And it is, again, it is a real view. This is just a window look into the Sydney Harbor. So, um, but, 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 you know, as always, this is the once a month, uh, uh, I guess, appointment date, whatever you want to call it. This is our, you know, uh, rendezvous on a month to month basis. The last Friday of every month, we have uh, Dr. Heim with us uh, to answer uh, some of the questions that you as audiences send us. And sometimes you can also call in, and we do have the number right now on the screen, 732-332-8493. And you can can certainly call us now if you want to join the discussion. Um, I can put the the stream as well on the screen, and you can join us live if you wanted to. Uh, Just, uh, you know, put in a comment that you want to be part of it, and we'll bring you on board. Then hopefully you can talk to the doctor if you want to. At the same time, this is anonymous. You don't have to say your name. As always, the, you just send in your, I guess, uh, nickname if you want or whatever catchy name you want to throw in, in there. But it is it is really time for mental health. And uh, we've done this almost going on three years now, two, a little over two and a half years. Uh, and um, just great stuff. And by the way, uh, Dr. Heim and Dr. Heim, <laughs> his wife, Caroline, are now also on the radio weekly they have the Resilient Relationships talk show. Uh, so you do want to catch that, you know, live. And it just aired about an hour ago. And it will be replaying as well on the network. So catch that every Friday. Awesome show. Uh, uh, you know, I, I would recommend it. I mean, just listen to those two guys. It's awesome. <laughs> you know, they, they're basically having a, you know, a, a real discussion. And they live together. <laughs> they, they've been around, you know. As, as a couple for, for many years, God bless. And they, they do a great job about delivering that message to, to you and helping people um, navigate the relationship world. So that being said, that was just a quick intro on that talk show. Uh, so do catch in. You know, I think we have two episodes in already. So just just stay tuned to that every week and uh, for now. And then we'll, we'll play by ear. Now, enough said about that. Today, we're going to have some fun stuff. Uh, you know, usually you hear me asking questions uh, that people send in. And we do have some of those, and, you know, I'm going to use a couple of them. But what I do have special today, as you probably see on the ticker down here, you know, there is something special today. I mean, Dr. Harm is going against ChatGPT, all right? <laughs> so, so this is going to be not a human asking questions, rather AI asking questions to a psychiatrist. And so, and you'll be surprised that these questions that you're going to see are going to be very interesting and very to the point. Uh, but they're, they're powerful questions that, you know, that, that anybody would want to know the answers for. So without any further ado, I'm going to start with the main questions. Uh, the two questions I have from previous shows, and then we'll get started. So Dr. First things first, I, I you know, we barely talked. <laughs> uh, I just was doing the introduction. So welcome to the show as always. That's fine. Thank you. Look, I'm, I'm really interested in uh, help solving AI's problems because ChatGPT has got some real identity issues, Hurricane, you know, so whatever I can do to help the poor machine out, uh, I'll, I'll be happy to do. Uh, well, again, this is, I think, version version two or three. Uh, so so it, it, upgra- it upgraded recently. So, yeah, so that's I think right. we're, we're going to have to 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 request, uh, you know, some new questions from the new version of it. But I mean, it is interesting. I mean, literally, I, I you know, I, I, I just put the query. I'd like some questions to ask, you know, on a podcast, yes. you know, a psychiatrist. And it just gave me a whole list. I mean, today I got about 10 questions. I have another, you know, 10 that are specific to different, you know, because I did request certain things specifically. So we might have to do that in, in a part two. And definitely we want to play with, with ChatGPT. Next time we're going to ask live ChatGPT, you know, from a psychiatrist and see what her responses will be or I don't know, it responses. Let's just keep it gender neutral here. So, <laughs> all well, right. So that, that being said, so, so first things first, I do have a question from Diane. Uh, now this question, um, what is, doctor, uh, what is your stance on the prospective ratification of internet gaming disorder? Ooh. Okay, so the ratification of internet gaming disorder. Okay, uh, so internet gaming disorder. Uh, firstly, uh, Diane, internet gaming disorder is 
it's it's a real disorder. It belongs to the whole category of addictions. And uh, again, this this heart harks back onto something that I've been saying for a long time, and that is that our social media, our screens, the whole of our technology is very addictive. Uh, it has been put together so that we will stay online so that we can be marketed to. So uh, gaming disorder is very real. Radicalization, all right. So this is a this is a new sort of area. And I suppose what you're looking at is the idea that there are games that bring up radical ideas in, in people's minds. And particularly games that are uh, associated with uh, violence or warfare, uh, it gets into a part of our uh, limbic system uh, that Freud would have said was involved with our aggressive drives, our uh, need for competition, our want to win, but more so even the idea of wanting to go to war. And there's something about every game that we play that is a bit like a war. And this drive for us to win, for us to be number one, is where people can be radicalized. Okay, so the idea of radicalization uh, is, firstly, out of my area of expertise. Uh, but secondly, it's knowing what we want in our brains and just being very careful as to where to go with it. So, so doctor, I, I know you, you use the word radicalization. Uh, uh, it's ratification, just, just to be clear. Um, so ratification. Okay, so the ratification. So, so basically, should it be in the DSM-5? Uh, okay. uh, should, should we have it as an actual disorder? Uh, which uh, brings to uh, the idea of what needs to be in the DSM-5 and what doesn't need to be in the DSM-5. So in other words, um, is it a disorder? The answer is yes. And uh, the thing about the DSM-5, and I'll just explain what that is, that's the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Psychiatry, where we actually have a list of disorders and a description of all the disorders. So schizophrenia is in there, depression is in there, anxiety is in there, bipolar affective disorder is in there. And now the idea of putting a, a screen and internet addiction into the DSM-5, the whole question is, are we just going too far with how many disorders we have or do we need to have them in there? And Hurricane and Diane, uh, there, there, are, there are for and against for each of it. If we don't write it down, then we will miss it. If we don't see that the internet is capable of creating an addiction, if we don't have the words to say it and describe it, then we will miss that people are actually going in there. Uh, the controversy is, are we just uh, medicalizing normal life experiences? Uh, so we're all capable of being on the internet and we're all capable of being addicted, but isn't, just that, isn't that just normal life? And what I would argue is whenever we have a, um, a increase in technology, an advance in technology, it actually puts us into places that we haven't been before and it puts us at a risk of having uh, disorders that haven't been there before. So I'd rather see it in than not. Well, well thank you. Doc. Actually, I guess we got two answers for that one. <laughs> Radicalization and ratification. So it's pretty good. We covered the. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I mis I misheard that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Listen, I know we're, we're, you know, over the distance. My accent is in the place. So, so I want to put them on the screen now. So. <laughs> but but no, your no, accent is wonderful, Hurricane. <laughs> I, I think, I think we covered both. So that's great. So you gave me more than I bargained for you. So Diane, you got more there. <laughs> uh, thank you, Doc. So, so, so one more question. And and then we go to to your challenge for the day. Uh, so the next question was from Matt and is what are the most important factors in successful addiction treatment? Okay, Matt, that's a really good question because we've been treating addictions for many, many decades. And you know what, Matt, we haven't had much success with it. Um, I say this only partly as a joke, but the best uh, addiction program there was, was in China in the 1960s, uh, when the Cultural Revolution basically said uh, either you get off your addictions uh, like heroin uh, or you lose your life. 
And um, why was that a good program? The good program is a lot of people got off their addictions really, really quickly. Uh, of course, it's abusive and we can't use that because a lot of people use their uh, lost their life. But the point about why I brought that up is the best way to treat an addiction is to find something in your life that becomes more precious to you than the addiction. And the problem with any addiction, and I'll use methamphetamine and cocaine as examples, because they're amphetamines that release a whole lot of pleasure, an amazing amount of pleasure, an untold amount of pleasure. And it's very difficult for me to say what I've just said, and then to say to people, don't go there. Because right there, there's that temptation of pleasure. But what an addiction does is it will suck all the life out of you so that your life becomes a misery rather than pleasure. And people that I have worked with and that I have listened to that have overcome addictions uh, have told me that when they find something that is worth it to them, and it could be somebody that they love, somebody who will walk away from them unless they overcome the addiction. Now, we don't like ultimations uh, in a relationship, okay? But if you have that motivation, then you say, no, this is worth it to me. And I have seen people do it. So Matt, the best way to overcome an addiction is to find something to be motivated for, something that you are really passionate about. And then you will do the work that needs to be done to overcome addictions. And there are several different methods. Uh, some people find that being in a group, talking to other people will help. Some people will find that medications help. Some people will find that a form of psychotherapy helps. Whatever the actual method is, the overriding principle is to love something about life more than the addiction because you have to get over that need for pleasure and find pleasure somewhere else. Great question, Matt, because I get to say something like that. Well, well, thank you, Doc. And, uh, you know, Matt, there you go. Uh, it's pretty powerful stuff. I mean, this whole thing about addiction is just unbelievable. And, uh, you know, it's difficult. I mean, no matter how you slice it, I've had so many shows, so many guests that, that yes. have experienced uh, addiction and yes. the road to, to recovery was, was a challenging one. Yes. They do actually overcome. And there is definitely hope, you know, for anyone watching or listening right now that you could literally get out of this thing you know no matter what it is but it takes a lot of work and obviously you know having someone such as dr heim you know along to help you with that or or some sort of a, a therapy system would always help and you know and but it is it is a difficult you know again i've i've listened to so many guests that had you know different stories and I'm talking about all kinds of addictions, not just, you know, a particular, I mean, you mentioned cooking and, uh, and, and like the drug ones, but we've talked about alcohol, we've talked about other types. And it is, it is really something that is uh, real. It is affecting the world. And, um, you know, obviously we're doing the work to try to help people hopefully get there and, and, and resolve it somehow. But, um, but thank you, doctor, for, for, for bringing the message and hopefully, you know, people listening and watching can benefit from it. And again, always seek help if you're not sure. That's the first step, I think, that we, we need to encourage. Most definitely hurricane. And, and look, we, we also have studies coming out of people who, okay, came back from uh, the Vietnam War, for example. Uh, as long as they came back into a loving environment, they were able to overcome, uh, let's say, heroin or morphine addictions that they had uh, that they had uh, acquired during the war. So what we learned from that as well is that our relationships are important. And that's another thing that I come back to, that if you feel that love and relational security in society, then we have less of a need for addictions. All right. All right. So, so thank you, Doc. Now we're going to go to your challenge with ChatGPT. All right, folks. This is non-human asking questions now. Uh, so this is the way of the future. Here we go. Question one, pretty basic. Uh, I want to put it on the screen here. Could you explain the role of psychiatrists in a broader field of mental health care? How do psychiatrists work with other mental health professionals like therapists and counselors? Okay, that's a really good question, Mr. Uh, Mr. Robot, or Mrs. Robot, <laughs> however we want to look at it. Yeah, it's Chad, baby. <laughs> okay, so uh, so there, there are two parts to that question, the role of a psychiatrist, and also, I suppose, um, the difference between psychiatrists, 
therapists and counsellors. And they're, they're, they're very different. So I'm going to talk about the role of a psychiatrist because the first thing uh, to know is that a psychiatrist is a doctor. So as a doctor, I have done uh, work in general medicine, in heart medicine, in gastrointestinal medicine, in, in uh, emergency departments and trauma, in orthopedics. And so my background has to do with all of medicine. And that means that my role in the broader field of mental health is that I take care of that sector of people who have mental health issues when their body, their whole biology is affected. So if people are at a stage where they're at risk of losing their lives because they have thoughts of killing themselves, or if their depression and anxiety is becoming so debilitating that they cannot function, that's when a psychiatrist steps in. It also means that I use biological therapies like uh, having people in hospital and also using uh, medications and also using physical uh, therapies like um, some brain stimulations uh, so that we work with the brain we work with the brain chemicals and we work physically first to keep the body safe. Now, in the broader field of mental health care, is it's only a small percentage of people with mental health problems that actually end up in hospital. The vast majority of mental health uh, problems are dealt with people in the community, like therapists and counselors, as well as psychiatrists. Now, therapists are mainly psychologists. Now, psychologists don't have a background in, uh, in medicine. They have a background in psychology. So whereas I could have become a cardiologist or an orthopedic surgeon or a, a general physician, a psychologist could have become a marketing psychologist, a sports psychologist, or in working in mental health, they could have become a clinical psychologist. And so clinical, uh, clinical psychologists are very good and they make use of talking therapies to get people through who have DSM-5 diagnoses so that they don't have DSM-5 di diagnoses anymore. Counselors are different again. Counselors are people who, strangely enough, counsel people. Now, the thing about counseling people is that you are working with people who do not have mental health illnesses. They are people who are well, but they are going through normal life stressors. So uh, a relationship breakup, uh, somebody leaving home, somebody uh, in bereavement, uh, somebody who is dealing with a, uh, a physical illness, these are all life stressors that counselors can help you with. So the idea is that we all work together at different levels of severity. The most severe mental illness has to be taken care of by psychiatrists, but there's a lot of overlap between psychiatrists and psychologists. All right. I hope I'm not going on too long here. Uh, no. No, no, okay, you're, you're good. Not, we, we, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's. I think it's a very powerful question because I mean that's the base of and foundation it is. for everybody. It is actually, yeah. it is. And and so if you look at the word psychiatry, uh, the iatra in that word means you got to heal a broken mind. Okay, whereas psychology, that word means you got to study a well mind, so a mind that isn't broken. So psychologists, by definition, work with the whole mind, the mind that is working well. However, that means that they're going to work with depression and anxiety because all of us, to some extent, experience depression and anxiety. When it gets to things like schizophrenia and bipolar affective disorder, that primarily needs to be taken care of by a psychiatrist. And then we have counselors who, as I said, help people who are well get through normal life stressors, but they can get really, really difficult. So that's basically uh, Chat GPT's uh, question and basically the answer that I want to give the poor little machine.
<laughs> well, well, so so I want to clarify why we're doing this for folks. Just, yeah. just in case. Uh, listen, it, it, the hype today is AI, and AI is taking over in a lot of areas. I, I mean, I I make use of it. I I like what what it does, and there's so many, you know, uh, practical uses for different and there's apps all over the place that could do a lot of things to make your processes, you know, much better. And ultimately, it is a you know a pretty knowledgeable and skilled you know technology that that is available. And and certainly, you know, the questions that it's asking us today, it it, it they're really va valuable to to our listeners. And you know, maybe someone may have the same question. We're just ahead of it in terms of the AI concept, and we have that. But it is the hype, and we wanted to test it out and see what we get. So that's that's really it. Oh, and and Hurricane, I want to say that I use it uh, all the time as well because it is a fast way of finding really good information. So it is an advanced search engine. And this uh, this question that it's asked straight off the bat is one of those basic questions that um, often a person won't ask because it sounds too basic. Whereas uh, what the AI has done is come up with a question that puts things into perspective for us straight away, and that's great. Well, there you go. Well, so so I do have uh, an actual uh, live feed with somebody who actually just, uh, you know, send in a question or, or a request. I want to put it up. Um, so uh, it is and is actually uh, from YouTube. So uh, let me put it up. Um, well, actually, I, he has his name on, so I will just read it. Um, this yeah. way we, we keep, you know, his person, you know, out of the, the, the screen. So um, uh, I've been getting panic attacks almost every day. Can you help me? I mean, ultimately, he's asking for help, but, you know, this is a show. But what can we tell uh, our um, comment, you know, uh, what can we tell him? <laughs> okay, okay. So so the question is, I'm getting panic attacks. Help. So uh, the first thing to say is uh, we have to make sure that it's panic attacks, right? It could be something else. Now, uh, it, it sounds like that this person is a young person. So it is most likely panic attacks. But your first port of call is actually a doctor uh, because there could be some heart conditions and there could be some uh, gastrointestinal conditions that can give you those sort of things. So the first thing that we uh, would have to do is make sure that it is actually a uh, panic attack. But having said that, the first thing to do is to breathe, is to breathe deeply and to breathe slowly. And right now, if you're listening, just breathe within me, three in, hold for three, three out, hold for three. So this is what I would do with somebody, Hurricane, I'd go breathe in, two, three, and hold, two, three, and breathe out, two, three, and hold, two, three. And if you can do that, 15 or 20 times, what that does is it activates the side of our nervous system, which we call the parasympathetic nervous system, or what we call the rest and digest. It's the part of our nervous system that is more relaxed. It's the part of the nervous system and it is physical. It goes from the brain and it actually tells the heart, let's go slowly. And there's a lot of things that happen in our body automatically, like our heartbeat, like where our blood flows and things like that. Uh, and we will start to automatically breathe shallowly when we're in fight or flight mode. But because we can control our breathing, we can consciously say, let's breathe slowly. Let's breathe in and out. And when you get the sensation that your heartbeat actually comes down, firstly, that tells you it probably was a panic attack, but it gives you the confidence that you have some control over your body. And when you get that sense of control, just a little bit, not totally, you will feel that there is a lot less to fear and the panic attack can subside. However, panic attacks are a real problem, particularly for young people, uh, because there is something going on. And ultimately, you need to find out what that something is. There is some sort of a fear or anxiety that underlies the panic attack. And you then go on a journey with a doctor or a therapist, a psychologist, 
to find out what that is. And if you find out what it is and face it, you will actually find that you can conquer panic attacks. So, so thank you, Doc. And, and by the way, I just as a curiosity, I mean, what does a panic attack look like? I mean, just from a descriptive, you know, just because again, I mean, I, I, we hear all the time, but what what should we look for? Yeah, no, that's really... that's exactly right. So, so we use the word panic 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 attack, assuming that we know what we're talking about, and there mm -hmm. is actually a difference between anxiety, extreme anxiety, and panic attacks. So, panic attacks is that feeling in your chest that your heart is racing, that it is pounding really, really fast. And it's coupled with thoughts in your mind that say, I might die now. Okay. And that's really distressing. Okay. So to say it's only a panic attack is an anomaly because they're really, really distressing. And uh, the thing is then the panic attack goes on for a certain amount of time. It's, it's not something that, that comes and goes in a few seconds. It's there for a while. So this distress goes on for quite some time. Extreme anxiety is when you feel really anxious, but your heart is not actually pounding and racing uh, the way it would in a panic attack. And it's a very uncomfortable feeling, but you don't have those thoughts that, oh my God, I am going to die. So there's a big difference there. And often when people want to uh, express their distress, they say that they're having a panic attack, which is why it needs going to a doctor to actually define whether it is a panic attack and what to do about it. Because anxiety is normal. Even a lot of anxiety is normal. It's when it gets extreme and you can't function and you get panic attacks and you think you're going to die that's when it's to get in there to do something about it. <laughs> well, thank you, Doc. I, you know, I, I think we, we've got a lot of clarity on that one. Um, so so um, for our, you know, I guess the uh, comment, you know, I hope that you've gotten some, some assistance here. I mean, ultimately, you know, as doctor recommended, if you, you do need to seek, you know, uh, at least attention with an actual doctor, um, hope to, to determine whether it's really the panic or something else, as you said. And if it is, then then you got some of the things that, you know, doctor had really shared now, as well as the breathing concept. I was doing it with you, doc. I yeah. love it. I've, I've used it many times. Believe me, I get, you know, sometimes myself a little excited and I just do the whole breathing, you know, and I follow exactly your routine. I do it more than, you know, people can think about. I mean, I do it all the time whenever I, I feel a little getting excited about things. So it helps a lot. So thank you. That's, that's <laughs> lovely. That's that's really lovely. And look, I just want to add that a panic attack is not a person's fault. This is not something that's just going on uh, in their head. We now live in a society where we're under a lot of pressures that we don't even understand. And it's actually normal for us to feel relaxed and at home and loved and wanted. And look, we have, there's a seminal study that was done in the 1990s to show that children are more stressed in a normal household than children who were taken to see a psychiatrist 30 years ago. So all of our society is heading towards anxiety. In fact, we're in it. We're not heading towards it. So uh, please don't blame yourself. Uh, but all these pressures that we are under today are things that impact not only on you and your thoughts and your feelings, but also on your body. That's the amazing thing about a panic attack. It shows how closely the body and the mind are related. In fact, they're all part of the same organism, you. So please take care and see somebody about it. All right. Well, thank you, doctor. And so now we go back. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll look for any other uh, interactions here. But in the meantime, we'll go back to our challenge with ChatGPT again. Uh, this is a pretty powerful question, I think. But, you know, so here we go. Mental health stigma remains a challenge. What steps can individuals in society take to reduce this stigma? How can podcasts and media contribute to raising awareness about mental health? Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's actually a very good question again, because mental health stigma, uh, it not only remains a challenge, but it it's almost like everybody who has a mental illness uh, feels that somehow uh, it's their fault. And so um, let's say doctors and psychiatrists and the whole of the mental health field have for decades 
worked on this idea that mental illness is an illness just like anything else that happens in the body. But just like a, um, uh, a broken leg can affect a limb or an ulcer can affect the stomach or an infection can uh, affect the lungs, depression and anxiety affect the brain. As a result, our whole sense of being is altered in changed, but it still has a biological basis. Now, Hurricane, I don't want to say that we're just biological beings. We are also psychological beings that have thoughts and feelings whirling around in our minds. And we are also existential and spiritual beings because we look for meaning. And although our kidney doesn't look for being, for meaning, our brain definitely looks for meaning in life. So we are complex beings and there is more to it. But mental health is something that needs to be treated just like any other illness. And so the stigma becomes if you have a mental illness, then there's something wrong with you as a person, which is a bit ridiculous because if somebody breaks their leg, we don't say there's something wrong with you as a person. We say there's something wrong with your leg. So in mental illness, we speak in terms of brain chemicals to give us a concept to say there's something wrong with your body, not with you as a person. What can individuals in society do? Uh, to reduce stigma, we can talk about it, and we do. Uh, knowing that there's a study out there that shows that 50% of the whole population will be diagnosed with a, as a mental health uh, illness in their lives is sobering for all of us. And uh, stigma actually comes from people who like to think that they're superior to other people and that mental illness does not affect them. Uh, if you have a brain, you're subject to mental illness, just like if you have a leg, it may be broken at some stage. Now, we don't encourage anybody to go out there and break their leg, just like I'm not encouraging anybody to go out there and get a mental illness, but it happens. And when it happens, we as a society need to treat it. And Mr. Jet T P, uh, -T -P I never get that right. What is it? Uh, <laughs> Chat GPT. <laughs> GPT, GPT. Okay. GPT. There yeah, there is something that society can do about it. And society needs to actually look at how society functions because the stress comes from society. There's something very strange about the way that we're living at the moment. It is not normal at all. And so, if society as a whole could look at ways that we could function to promote relationships, to promote mental health, to promote a more relaxed way of living, then we wouldn't have all this stress in the first place. So podcasts uh, like this, Hurricane, we're bringing the awareness out about mental health issues and that we all have to look after our mental health in the very strange society that we find ourselves in at the moment. Well, thank you, Doc. Well, you know, I mean, I can only talk about the podcast piece, but <laughs> you know, I mean, cer cer certainly the the uh, the stigma is there, and unfortunately, yeah. I, you, Doctor, you stated the best. You know that there are people who think that you know this is not for them. I think we live, and you're right. The brain has chemicals and has certain interactions, and we have influences and so on and so forth. That uh, you know, there's so many factors that can affect us any given day, and to understand that 50 percent of the population eventually is going to you know, facing some sort of a mental level, you know, whether depression, anxiety or something. I mean, I mean, those are the terms we use most of the time and everybody pretty much goes through those things. Right. Um, you, you lose your job, you get a little bit of depression, a little stress, you yeah. know, you and it's just how you cope you know, with it. That makes a difference. Right. So so that's one. But as far as the awareness, uh, this is why we exist. I mean, you know, podcasts is out there uh, and there's thousands, if not millions of us out there doing the work, hopefully to get the information out. Um, you know, our network here is for that. I mean, this whole partnership with Dr. Heim that started a couple of years back was about driving this message to people and helping and assisting with them. So, again, uh, it, we do our best that we can. Hopefully we can impact someone, who, you know, uh, any given day or maybe one person at a time. But that's really, you know, so there is an actual real uh, want and uh, and push from podcasters out there that are specializing in this yes. type of topics and you know in health but i mean but but here's the thing uh 
in uh, in the absence of podcasts, you know, there's very little discussion about this in I would yes. say there's the media. Unfortunately, that's just a fact. You don't hear about it in the news. You don't hear about it. Maybe if someone goes, you know, lunatic and start shooting, we hear about it as an aftermath. But nobody goes and like what was happening to that person before they get into that place, you know. And that's that's really it. Here we try to bring the awareness and the knowledge and hopefully the yes. guidance to assist. And that's the difference. And so hopefully we are doing our part. And I think everybody out there should not judge people. Uh, we should, you know, understand, give the benefit of that, that someone is going through some tough times. And, you know, whether we, I, I see that all the time in driving, people are going nuts, you know, and sometimes you have to understand, like, you've been there too. And there was a reason why you were rushing or you were honking or doing stuff. So somebody's going through something at any given moment. Just give them that, that you know, put yourself in, in their shoes, as they, as they say, you know, and, and see what happens there. And you will probably understand a little bit more. That's just my two cents there. <laughs> oh, no, no, uh, Hurricane, that's, that's very, very helpful because we're all trying to get through life together. And look, we need to have a heart for people who are doing it really tough. The people with severe mental illness. Uh, I'm working with people who have schizophrenia, which is a very, very difficult disease. And the stigma that they are finding, it's not just that they can't get a job right but even their whole families want to disown them because it puts a big burden on the family and to feel that your own family are at the point where they want to disown you due to a mental illness that you never put your hand up for that is stigma that is sort of saying there must be something wrong with me and to be able to say to a person like that it's not you it's the illness we have to do what we can to treat that illness it's an uphill battle because the science in psychiatry is, it's not as good as it needs to be. Uh, a lot of our cures are good, but we get some very difficult cases, Hurricane, and we have to battle and keep battling and do the best that we can to manage a situation when we can't always cure a situation. Well, so doctor, thank you. And, and But there is one thing I wanted just to highlight is that you know, the stigma, we know what that means, right? I mean, yeah, know, people are being really looking at you and judging you and it's taboo, right? I mean, mental yeah. health is a big deal. But, but, you know, sometimes let's say someone chooses and I'm I'm going to be, you know, maybe it's not the technical term, but someone, for example, gets into an addiction mode, right? Something, yeah. you know, that they, they started as a fun habit and it became addiction, right? Yeah. Now, people do sometimes judge, you know, folks, in that particular capacity as like, well, you did that yourself. You, you, it was you that did that. And unfortunately, I mean, to a degree, they're right in a way, because, you know, we sometimes put ourselves into this. I mean, there's one thing about your mental status, you know, or chemicals, you know, being altered, you know, from a natural, I would say, say, but, but if you yeah. intervene and, and really put yourself into harm's way, that creates that. And so now it becomes a very difficult, you know, aspect, like how do we, because people will will eventually make that that call that you are you know an addict or you are this or the other and they start you know labeling you know people and unfortunately yes. it is happening it is a difficult test. so sometimes we there is both sides of the coin here because in a way some some of us may put ourselves in harm's way and therefore yep. we can almost create that that factor and yep. we shouldn't but it happens like like yes. everything else and and, yep. and again here's the thing that I want to say is that no one chooses really Yes, that's right. It's the, it's the events that take you there. And, you know, maybe you mingle with the wrong crowd and then that's where you wind up. Maybe, yeah. you know, there's some event that, that happens in your life and you want to cope with it and you get into the easy way out. And that's not sometimes, you know, where yes. it begins. And so so at the end of the day, there's always a trigger. I think if we can hopefully try to prevent ourselves from getting into a trigger mode, you know, whatever that is, by, by again, the awareness and, and, and knowing that can help and hopefully then we can also limit some of the stigma that can get attached to it and at the end of the day if someone has that problem let's say right and they get into that point well they, they shouldn't care about what people think i mean I, you know they should just care about being cured and finding you know a way out i think that's just personally that's how i think i mean you, you know when sometimes we put too much weight on, on what people think about us yes and that affects us more than than than, than we think because because we put that burden extra i mean for everything, whether it's your job, whether it's your family, whether it's your weight, whether it's your, your looks, whatever it is. I mean, people yeah. are always going to judge you. So yeah. you start thinking about what other people think. It's always going to be a problem. Yeah. OK. So, Hurricane, what you just said is very, very important. And there are a few really complex things in there that I want to speak to. Firstly, about judgment. 
uh, the bottom line about judgment is we all get judged for what we do. So in other words, uh, people will be judging if this is a good podcast, a good episode, if you do your work well, but you can't be judged for who you are. And we all want to be accepted for who we are. That's just me. You're also right in saying that a stigma is a mark that we put on somebody like the Nazis did to Jews and homosexuals and gypsies in the Second World War. They actually had to carry a mark, a tattoo, something on their clothing to say that they're different. So uh, the Nazis created a us versus them situation, uh, which is what stigma is. I'm not like you. You're the problem one. That's what stigma is. And the thing that you touched upon the most was the question of addictions, uh, the idea of, um, okay, did you put yourself into this? One of the unanswered questions in Science Hurricane is why do we humans make decisions and do things that are not in our own best interests? So you will find yourself, Hurricane, just like I find myself, doing something or saying something that's not good for me. And so rather than create an us and them situation, if we can move towards getting an us situation, then we will have the compassion to start to treat people with kindness and respect, even if they've made mistakes. Because every mistake that we make is a reminder to the people who are coming up behind us not to make this mistake. But it's also a reminder to the people ahead of us to say, you know what? You haven't taken this mistake out of life yet. It's still there. So again, we're all trying to get through this journey called life, and it's best if we do it together. You know, doctor, listen to you. It's funny because uh, we actually, we have a cultural saying that as long as you live, you're never 100% sure that you're going to get out, you know, 100% safe. There is always a chance that something's going to go wrong. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, you're only safe when you depart. And then that's a whole different discussion <laughs> in the afterwards. But yeah. but but as long as you live, you know, don't ever think that you're above any 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 challenges in life, whether mental, physical or anything. Some people can be super healthy and an accident happens and, and everything, you know, goes down. I mean, yeah. uh, you get a, you know, a loss of a job, which which is very common and someone gets depression and the rest is chaos. Right. Uh, so so as long as you live, know that there is hope for the best and do your best. But. But the challenges are going to be thrown at us at all times, and we have to. And you're right. People are going to judge. I mean, whether they judge this show, whether they judge anything, they'll find something. I mean, there's a lot of critique. There's a lot of judge, but very little sometimes support. And we'd like to be on that support mode, guys, you know. And uh, I prefer to be on that help, you know, uh, side or, or, or I guess yeah. uh, parallel because, you know, uh, we can criticize anything we want. I mean, I can look at, you know, my own self right now and criticize 10,000 things. I mean, what does that mean? Nothing. I mean, you know, that's easy, right? Uh, I can judge, you know, because I'm not in, in somebody's shoes. It's very easy to make the, the judgment. But if you were experiencing those things, you're probably going to have a more difficult time. Uh, and, and that's reality, folks. I mean, uh, you don't have to take it from me or from doctor. I mean, if you ask the question, you probably know the answer. You know exactly how that feels. Yeah. Uh, and and that's, we, we don't know. To, we don't want to be hurt. We don't want to feel bad. You know, we don't want to be. We look at somebody like in a bad position and you're like, well, I don't want to be that way. But if you if you really go back, that person didn't choose to be there in the first place. There's some set of circumstances that got them there. Now, maybe they put themselves into, you know, harm's way in a way and they got there. But but, you know, don't don't. Don't judge them. Don't feel like, you know, that, you, again, as you said, the keyword superior, because you never know. I mean, we talk about karma all the time. <laughs> Sometimes, yes. you know, things happen. If you, you judge people the wrong way, maybe you'll be judged one day. So let's not go there. But again, that, you know, that's just just my, my again, my little view on this or opinion about it. But, uh, you know, that's that's it. So, so, doctor, I have another question from our dear friend, you know, A.I., um, so well, there's a few of them. So I'm going to pick this one here. Um, I'm going to put it up here and then. Just remember that karma will always run over dogma. Ooh, <laughs> that was a good one. That was a good one. <laughs> I didn't expect that. That's a good one. I mean, so we might want to expand on that one, doctor. <laughs> you know, like we want to just clarify dogma versus, <laughs> you know. Uh, but uh, so, so what are some practical self-care strategies that listeners can implement in their daily lives to promote mental well-being? How can people recognize signs of distress in themselves or their loved ones? 
Okay, wonderful question again. Uh, but it's it's two questions, and so I'll, I'll deal with them separately. There are things that have been scientifically proven to be good for your physical health and your emotional well-being, as well as your mental health. And there are actually only a few. So I'll go through some of those, because these are things that we can all implement in our daily lives right away. First one, sleep. You've actually got to sleep well and do what you can to get good sleep. The other thing is nutritional food. Now, I know this sounds basic, but uh, in our day-to-day -day life, life can get so crazy that we put food down the chain of uh, importance when it's really quite important that most of our food, 90 to 90% of it, needs to be nutritional food rather than um, a fast food. The third thing, what's the third thing? I've forgotten the third thing. The third thing is exercise. Uh, and exercise not only for your body. And exercise just means moving your body however you can, playing a sport, walking. And we all know that exercise is good for us. But remember, we live in a society that's cutting down on our exercise because we use convenience means all the time. We use the, uh, the uh, escalator or the elevator rather than walking. We use a car rather than walking. And we sit rather than walking or moving. So exercise is move as much as you can. But exercise is not only for the body, and this is important for mental health. Exercise is for your brain as well. Learning, developing skills, reading, writing, talking with somebody, having a debate or a conversation with another human being is actually a huge exercise for your brain because your brain is monitoring how you're coming across. They're monitoring how they are coming across. They are thinking about bits, uh, bits of the conversation. And all of these things help keep your brain sharp and your mental health buoyant. Uh, the big thing, however, is relationships. And I don't know if I've said that before, maybe I've missed it out, the hurricane, but I do tend to come back to this all the time because all the science overwhelmingly shows that we are social creatures who need each other. And we need to spend time with each other. And we need to spend not just quality time, but quantity time, just hanging out with each other and being with each other. And interacting, talking, touching, doing all sorts of things that you do as is appropriate to all relationships. And the one other thing that I'm going to put that we can all do is to spend time in nature. The Japanese have a wonderful word for this. They call it, call it a forest bath. You go out into the forest and you take a bath there. You take in the ambience, the vibration, the greenness of the grass and the leaves, the brownness, the, uh, the strength of the trees, the blue vastness of a sky and the clouds. And what this does for our mental health is it makes us feel that we are part of everything. So one is taking care of your body. One is taking care of your relationships. And the other is taking care of your place in the world. And those things are the people that all of us can implement in our daily lives to promote mental well-being. It's difficult to do that, Hurricane. What do you reckon? Uh, it is. Well, I mean, it's difficult, but not impossible, right? So we, we can certainly do these things knowing that they're good for us. I mean, it's it's like everything else, right? We have to, to always seek the, I mean, by default, we always want to be better and do better. This is the best investment you can do is in yourself and your mental state and your physical. And you're right, you know, finding your position and, 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 and your place in this world, then putting it, you know, to, to, to work is important. But, you know, it's funny because there was a question actually that came up from AI, which was what you just covered for the most part. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so, so it's really how, how do factors like sleep, nutrition, physical activity, and you just covered exactly that. So it, it was ahead of us. <laughs> well, yeah, but I'll, I'll talk about the mechanism there because it has to do with the brain and uh, sleep means the brain gets to rejuvenate and go into slower brainwave modes where it gets to process all of our experiences. And uh, if, if we went without sleep for just a few days, we would get very unwell and our life would be in danger.
Nutrition means that good nutrients are getting to the brain and waste products are being uh, taken away from the brain to keep the brain growing and healthy. And physical exercise keeps the blood flowing, not only in our bodies, but also in our brain so that those nutrients can get there and the waste material can be taken away. So that's how they contribute to mental well-being. It makes for a healthy brain. Well, well, thank you, Doctor. Well, I mean, you talked about being in nature, like the Japanese, yeah. you know, nature bath, right? And yeah. and really, when you're in nature, I mean, it's pure everything. I mean, your, yes, your atmosphere is pure. You're away from the city, right? There's more oxygen. I mean, if you're around the trees, you're getting oxygen, right? And so, so it is definitely much better for your health. I mean, it, it's we know that people that live maybe in the woods or somewhere like remote from yes. major cities have a you know healthier lifestyle as a whole. And their nutrients are more natural because they grow most of the stuff also on the, yeah. on the farmland. So it is a big difference, you know, when you're out there versus here. So nature is part of it. So, And, and Hurricane, it's more than physical uh, because all that you said was right, but there is something when you spend time to watch birds or uh, watch the wind in the trees or good grief, may I even say, watch the grass grow. It uh, dissipates the stresses that we build up from not only urbanization and cities, but our fast paced life. And the science shows that stress from our life leads to what we call chronic inflammation. So in other words, uh, there are parts of our body that are inflamed and need of repair, which puts more of a load on our immune system. And our immune system doesn't work as well when we are stressed, whereas going out into nature is rejuvenation for our immune system. And you will feel, even if you're tired, that you have more energy. And it's this effect on dissipating stress and rejuvenating the immune system that a forest bath can do. Well, you know, that, that's funny because I, I can tell you, and then probably everybody can't vouch for this if you're by a river by a fall by the water um, yeah. you know uh, in nature the birds are you know uh, you know th that whole the noise that it's in nature i mean the sounds of nature you yeah. know they're soothing they they're calming yeah. i mean it's it's a whole different i mean that's why you go to let's say a, a spa and you have these these sounds that are playing to keep you nice and relaxed and all they're doing is copying, you know, literally recordings from from the real nature, and and they dropping them into an audio for you to to relax mode, right? Uh, yes, and, and it, it's real. It works. I mean, if you, I love to be by the water and just hear the waves break. I mean, it's just beautiful. Uh, you know, falls, rivers, all of that stuff is pretty good. Yeah, so the vastness of water, the thing is that water flows all the time. And the other thing about water uh, is it all flows into an ocean. And we know that more than two-thirds of our whole um, world is ocean. Now, as you know, in the last week uh, in Japan, they have uh, released the water from Fukushima. Uh, and it's a lot of water that could be radioactive. And there's a controversy. Is this going to be okay to release in the water? And the the case say, for saying it's okay is that the ocean is so vast is that it can absorb all this stressful water, if you like. And when I look out over a beach onto the ocean, or if you are on a boat and you are on an ocean or a lake, you feel the vastness of the water in the lake absorb all your stress. And okay, scientifically, we don't know how this happens, but the subjective experience that we have is that it happens. It absorbs stress. You know, I know you love cruising and I love cruising. And I'll tell you, one of the reasons I love cruising is being in the middle of nowhere in the sea and just all you see is water. That's right. And so, and whether it's waves or no waves, you actually feel real calm and collected. And it's just a different feeling. I mean, I actually sometimes literally just put my camera and just kind of take a video of, of the, the, the noise and, and the vast sea and it's all that stuff that's recorded. I just watch it again, and it's pretty good. I mean, if if you you have the opportunity to be on on a ship, you know, in the middle of the sea, I've been actually I did a, I've done a transatlantic, and and those were like you know six days, you know, with nowhere, no land, and in the middle of the ocean, and you just hear the waves, and the waves, and that was a break in on on the ship, and or in there was sometimes no waves, and it was just calm, and and it's just amazing. Uh, and again, I mean, that's just my experience and it helps. I mean, like we can, we can help ourselves in a lot of ways yes. by using nature. I mean, it's available and it's free. <laughs> There's nothing, you don't have to pay for it. 
Well, um, it is. And uh, I know this is going to sound a bit strange. This is where a party with friends is a bit like being on an ocean. Because when you're together with a whole lot of friends, you've actually created this vast ocean of good feelings. And if people are getting on there, and you know, if somebody gay crashes the party, it spoils the vibes, right? It's because mm -hmm. there was this ocean of good feeling that everybody basks in. And this is the real reason that people like parties. It's not just the fun and the drinking and the jokes. It's just being with people that you feel a kinship with. It's like being on the ocean and the stress being absorbed by the people around you. So for those of you who can't get out in the middle of the ocean, throw a party. <laughs> well, I guess that that actually almost going to touch on this question here. Okay. How can individuals build resilience to better cope with lives, challenges and stresses? Are there specific techniques you recommend for managing anxiety and stress? I think you just covered it. <laughs> well, in a way, yeah, because uh, we're doing a lot of work in this area of resilience, which is the ability to bounce back to if bad things happen, to get back up there onto your horse or into the ring, whatever it takes. And the evidence in resilience is really quite clear that what builds resilience is good relationships good relationships as children, good relationships as teenagers, good relationships as adults, to have that reservoir of good feeling of friends around you. And this is why I often speak against social media, because we spend so much time with social media. And we're on social media at the moment, Hurricane. So, you know, I understand that. But <laughs> spend the time with people, with your family and your friends as well. Well, well, so, so doctor, I mean, I know we're on social media right now, which is true, but, but yeah. we see social, I always say, I mean, social media is like, you know, anything else, there's the good and the bad. It's That's how right. you use it. Like everything That's else right. is, is, is really not so much what it is. It's how you use it. I mean, you can use a book for good and bad. You can use yeah. a weapon for good and bad. You can use, you know, anything for good and bad. Medicine can be good and bad, right? Yeah. Uh, if yeah. you took it the wrong dose, it hurts. If you take it the right dose, I mean, everything, right? This is informative. This is educational. This is enlightenment. Yeah. You know, so it's different. But but there is social media that is just pure. You know, nothing. I mean, it's just you know. I mean, it's maybe fun, maybe entertaining. I don't know. There's there's that. But there's also stuff that is just nonsense. Uh, you know, maybe someone yeah. can judge me for for stating that. But I, that's how I feel. I mean, there's things that I I wouldn't want to just watch. I mean, there's nothing there that is that is substance matter or like is substantiated in terms of lifestyle that I'm I'm gonna look at. But at the end of the day, to each his own, right? You have choices. Like you tune in to whatever frequency you need, and uh, you know there's thousands of channels out there. There's thousands of podcasters. There's thousands yep. of programs. Thousands of books. I mean, you pick whatever you want. Uh, movies. I mean, you can watch horror movies. You can watch action, or you can watch yep. documentaries. That's all to you. But but again. You know, we're we certainly uh, to to your point, doctor. We we don't want people to be all living in in the social media because there's stresses that come up from there. I mean, sometimes there are news that are not real news, and they just get you excited for nothing. I mean, I we we've seen that in in the pandemic. We've seen that in in politics. We've seen that in a lot of places. Yeah. And people sometimes they just chime in. They just pick a topic. They have no clue about it. They just keep talking. They want the views. That's another thing. So so it is it is real and it's happening. Unfortunately, you know. But um, you know. You have a choice, folks. You can watch whatever that is going to be, you know, good food for your brain, for your body, yes. and it's going to help you. Or you can have something that's going to affect you otherwise, and that's it. So that that that's how I see it. So so um, this is another question. We're coming to the end here. Um, you know, do you have do you have room for one? Oh, I've got room for one. Yes. All right. Oh, we've got an appetite for a question. <laughs> okay. Let's see. Uh, resilience. Here we go. Oh, no, that's not it. Okay, there's one word missing here. So uh, actually, there's there's two parts of the question. That's why I kind of broke it down here. But yeah, uh, how, I, I can read it or you can just, you know, <laughs> uh, it, it's there. But how do cultural, for our audio, you know, uh, portion of this, how do cultural backgrounds and experiences impact the way individuals perceive and seek treatment for mental health issues? What should mental health professionals consider when working with diverse populations. Yeah, yeah, so that's that, that's a vast topic because um, a lot of our evidence is driven uh, from the West, 
uh, from where the scientific research is done, and there is a bias towards uh, evidence uh, published in English. So there is this cultural bias in how we put together even our scientific evidence. So this is a, a big topic because uh, the main thing is that different cultures have different expressions of mental illness. So some cultures will express mental illness psychologically, other cultures will express mental illness physically more, and subcultures will not talk about mental illness. And so when um, mental health professionals work with diverse populations and different cultural backgrounds, you need to take this into account. And Hurricane, that doesn't mean that we become a uh, an expert on all different cultures, because we can't, because we are all culture bound. We are all part of the culture that we grew up in and that we find ourselves in at the moment. However, uh, mental health professionals know that the person in front of you are an expert on their own culture. And so they can actually uh, talk to their expression of mental health and their needs in regards to their culture. What that doesn't say much about is how different cultures will actually seek out help of uh, professionals wherever they are. And then we get into the very complex issue of people who have moved cultures from one to the other. People who come from a different continent, or particularly, as I've worked a lot with, people who have escaped war-torn places and come to a place of refuge, like Australia, like Canada, like the USA, and find themselves in a place of very different cultural norms and different cultural expectations. And some of their expectations change and some don't. And this is different from individual to individual. So it gets to be very complex, but that's part of the fun of being human. We are actually all very complex. And if we remain open to each other's needs, then we can help each other get through this thing called life. <laughs> Well, life is is life is life, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it is an interesting, you know, concept, and and unfortunately, we can do nothing about it. We have to live life, and we have to go through the motions and coping through it, and 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 surviving it. I would say, <laughs> living right. it and surviving it, you know, with with very little impact. Uh, that's the hard part. And uh, but we could. I mean, we can. Literally, it's possible. And there are certain things that we need to do. And there's there's from from the start of our life to the end. I mean, there's certain things that there are things that we can avoid. There are things that we can be part of. And, and sometimes that's how it is, but you know, uh, what's clear is clear. What's, what's, what's good is good. What's bad is bad. We know these things. And then sometimes we choose not to. And, uh, you know, and again, people make priorities and choices. Sometimes they can be like in business, like everything else, right? We can make the wrong decision and then we have to deal with the outcome and then the ramifications of said decision. But, you know, we hope that people always have some footing, some foundation, some, you know, prospect where they can gear towards the righteous path, as we would call it. But that's not guaranteed. No one can guarantee that. Right. We we and, and by the way, doctor, I, I love what you said about, you know, uh, especially in the last question where people are diverse, you know, of, of diverse you know, yeah. backgrounds and cultures. And that's the other thing. I mean, every culture is different. I mean, uh, you got, you know, people of faith sometimes have a different way of living and they have more of a restricted mode of life, but, but it's sometimes it's simple fun, you know, fundamental, you know, steps that they follow and it keeps them, you know, in a, in somewhat a good track. That doesn't mean they're <laughs> always sane, you know, they could have, you know, mental health issues as well, but it's just how they deal with it differently. And so everybody's yeah. different, you know, and uh, we're just here to help and, you know, uh, by the way, it's always good, you know, for, for, for me personally, I love this, this show because it, it keeps me balanced <laughs> and, oh, and I, get, I, I get all my, 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 my tools and, and, and tweaks, you know, based on, on some of the discussions I have here with doctor, but really it is important for all of us to, to have some of these, at least, you know, pieces of knowledge to help us, you know, navigate again, life. So doctor, as always, I mean, I know we exceeded the hour, but, but, you know, uh, that last question was, was you know, there and we needed to cover it. So thank you so much for, for, for staying with that a little bit longer. And, uh, you know, I mean, as always, uh, a pleasure, had a lot of fun. So what do you think of chat GPT? I mean, was, were the questions? They were the very good questions. They were excellent questions, Hurricane. Uh, it, it got to the core of a lot of uh, uh, questions of the relationship 
between people and the mental health professionals that they see, and they were very important things to say. So thank you very much for doing that. Uh, right. we, we have a second part, so we might do that, you know, in maybe a couple yeah. months. Uh, and the other one was more about like, you know, climate change, uh, geopolitical tensions. And like it, it got a little, you know, I asked it for like, you know, real issues, you know, yeah. time. Yeah. And then it's given questions about that. So let's let's see what those look like. You know, so that being said, folks, I mean, uh, you know, hope you enjoyed today's show. And uh, definitely, uh, again, uh, we have the, the playlist on YouTube. We have it on, on Facebook. The shows are, you know, uh, in podcast everywhere. Um, you can listen to them also on iHealthRadio. That's live. You can download the app and listen to it. Definitely do check out, you know, the the new Resilient Relationship Show, which which is basically Dr. Christian and Caroline Heim together talking about, you know, how to really build a better relationship and, and maintain a relationship and, you know, s- stick to it. <laughs> Stickability was, was, was the topic of today's discussion. Yes, it was. I mean, I loved it. I was listening to I was listening to, to the show, so it was cool. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so folks, I mean, we're trying, you know, uh, we're bringing this to you and uh, take it for what it's worth. Um, doctor, any last uh, words before we part this this uh, episode of this month? Uh, look, just thank you for for those questions, Hurricane, because they were they were really important and really got to the core of a lot of issues. Uh, right. Yeah, and I, I suppose I want people really to remember the things that they can do for their mental and physical health. Thank you. And I want to thank our guest today for sending the question and hopefully that you have the opportunity to get some answers from this. So, and again, folks, don't be shy. Please chime in. We try to keep your your person, you know, anonymous to a degree. Unless you have no mind, we can put it up, you know, on screen. But, you know, put a different name if you have to. But we'd like to hear from you. So join us the next time. We'll be on the end of September. So last Friday of September. Let's look forward to that and then keep, you know, checking on the Resilient Relationships show. Uh, that's weekly for now. All right. That being said, I'm Hurricane H. Um, this is Climb to Prime with Dr. Heim, the one, the only. And uh, we'll be talking soon. Bye for now.